Robert Rummel and his buddies couldn't look away. They couldn't see enough. Although what they could see was more than they'd ever seen before. It was the spring of 1964. Rummel was a senior at Alliance High School. Except not on this afternoon. This afternoon, he and his pals had packed into cars and driven halfway across the county to the State Theater Burlesque in downtown Canton. And they could see her, the woman on the stage. 50, 24, 36. The boys couldn't look away. She was the wow girl, eighth wonder of the world, America's Dairy Queen. The amazing, fabulous, fantastic, Busty Russell. Welcome to Tales from the Rep Morgue, the podcast that explores the 200-year-old archive of the Canton Repository. I'm your host, Shane Hoover. There are stories you enter the morgue to find, and there are the stories that find you. Two years ago, I was looking through newspapers from January 1968 when I found an ad for the Old State Theater. Maybe you've heard of the place. It was legendary or notorious, depending on your point of view. The State Theater closed the year before I was born, but in the 1960s and 70s, It was Canton's only burlesque club. Some say, for a time, that it was the only theater between Pittsburgh and Detroit where men, and women, but mostly men, could watch comedians and strippers perform their unique style of live theater. The state ran ads in the repository all the time. But this ad was different. It was bigger, with an illustration of a woman and graphics that shouted, The sensational Miss 50. Busty Russell. You gotta see it to believe it. I'd heard about the state. I'd heard about Busty Russell. But who was she really? Where was she from? Was she still alive? And if she was, what did she think of her old career? About her times in Canton? What had her life been like? I decided to find out. But the story got set aside. There were other projects to work on. I didn't get back to Busty until this winter. Two years had gone by. I started reporting, only to learn that the woman who was Busty Russell, who had tantalized and titillated audiences from Baltimore to Guam, had died December 31st at the age of 78. I had just missed her, it seemed. But the truth, as I found out, was that Busty had been gone for decades. Part 1. Seeing is Believing Close your eyes and say her name. Busty Russell. What do you see? A lot of flesh and a little clothing? A persona an anatomical caricature, an icon of the bad old days of Canton. Here's another name, 
Sandra Churchy. What do you see? Anything? Nothing? That's how she left it. Sandra was born in 1941 in Hagerstown, Maryland. We don't know much about her early years. Even her family doesn't. Except that she lived for a time with her grandparents and never finished high school. Sandra left Hagerstown with a carnival, and she started doing burlesque around the age of 19. As she later told a reporter, it was a one-way ticket from home, at least for a time. I was raised Mennonite, but once I left home, they considered me a dead person. I could never go back to them. Sandra. Some of Sandra's earliest shows were in Cincinnati, where she took the stage in 1961 as Ravishing Redhead, Busty Russell. The name evoked movie star Jane Russell, which was good because Sandra needed a catchy name if she was going to share stages with women named Sally the Shape, the Tennessee Tantalizer, I Need a Man, and Just a Dream. There were other things Sandra had to learn. She had to make her own clothing, because where was a woman who stood 5 feet 5 inches with her dimensions going to buy something that fit? And Sandra had to learn the moves, from mentors such as Rose LaRose, who taught her the humor and artistry of burlesque. Because burlesque was more than just getting naked on stage. Stripping was involved for sure, although there were limits, sometimes observed and sometimes not. But there were also comedians, sketches, and musicians. Dustin Wax is executive director of the Burlesque Hall of Fame in Las Vegas. Originally, the word burlesque meant an extremely exaggerated parody, Wax explained. It had nothing to do with strippers. Chaucer, Shakespeare, and Mark Twain all wrote burlesques. But then something happened in America during the 1800s. Burlesque theater, the parody, not the strippers, was very popular. And there also happened to be a lot of all-women theater companies. And over time, burlesque, the parody, not the strippers, merged with something called the leg show, which was basically women dancing in tights. I'll let Wax explain. And so you could see the shape of their legs, you could see the shape of their bodies, it was considered very, very scandalous, and of course, as with all things very, very scandalous, it was considered very, uh, you know, it did very well. It was very successful. It's suggestive and evocative and erotic, but it's not, um, you're not seeing skin. Strip tease didn't become part of burlesque until the late 1920s. And even then, there was still a lot of comedy. Comics like Red Skelton, Abbott and Costello, and Bob Hope all performed in burlesque shows and in the more family-friendly vaudeville theaters. When movies and radio lured the comics away, vaudeville died. But burlesque, which had developed this kind of erotic you know, presentation um, to stay alive, they started taking their clothes off. Turns out people pay good money for that. In the 1960s, Busty Russell worked a circuit of clubs and theaters in the Northeast and Midwest. Boston, Baltimore, Philly, Pittsburgh, Detroit, Youngstown, Canton, 
At times she earned up to $1,100 a week, which is close to $8,000 a week in today's currency. When the Toronto cops arrested her for an obscene performance in 1963, it was an international story. All she was wearing was a flesh-colored G-string and two sequined butterflies. Detective Fred Maxwell. Busty couldn't buy an ad with reach like that. The New York Daily News named Busty alongside some of the biggest burlesque stars of the time. Tempest Storm and Blaze Star. Women who Busty's manager asserted didn't measure up to his client. Busty gets fighting mad when anybody questions her supremacy. The name she goes by is Dairy Queen. I talked to her just the other day, and I'd have her call you, but she never remembers telephone numbers. The number she remembers is 50, and that's authentic. I'll send you her picture. Manager Dave Cohn. But that was just one part of the woman who was Busty Russell. In 1964, Sandra Churchy married a truck driver named Robert Gray. Robert was a decade older than Sandra. They lived in Syracuse. For most of the year, Sandra hit the road as Busty with her little dog Tico. But she spent summers with Robert. They'd go camping. Sandra would ride a motorcycle, garden, and play bingo. As she told a reporter, It's a good business. I work all year except summer. I stay at home in Syracuse with my husband then. He doesn't mind me being a dancer. Heck, I make good money and I send it home. Sandra. Part 2, Would We Come Back? Part 2, The State Theater Presents Don't giggle. Don't act stupid. Give the man your money. Take your ticket. Act like you belong. It was a ridiculous charade. The man at the State Theater's ticket booth had to know Robert Rummel and his friends were underage. But he didn't care. And they were in. Wasn't quite as clean and pretty as we thought it ought to be. (laughs) There were women walking around in different states of uh, undress and a lot of... A lot of older guys in there, all all excited about something. We didn't know what the hell we were in for. For a generation of young men, going to the State Theater Burlesque at the corner of Tusk and Rex Avenue Southeast was a rite of passage. The state was in the heart of Canton's busy red light district. Richard Haldy, who gives local history lectures, Recall the time he went to the state with a couple of friends in 1956 to see Rose LaRose, one of Busty Russell's mentors. Rose LaRose was classy. We were impressed. I didn't find it trashy or anything. It was quite remarkable. It wasn't packed, the theater, the evening we were there, but there were remarkable people dressed nicely and women, a lot of women were in there and uh, it was kind of uh, high class Um, let me put it this way, higher class than what we were expecting Uh, uh, not a lot of flesh and uh, it was fun it was enjoyable, a lot of joking, it was still vaudevillian in many ways and the the women did their thing but not to the extent that you would see on TV after 9 o'clock here 
we were also a little disappointed. <laughs> you know, 17, 18-year-olds, uh, you were looking uh, to be a little more excited. Yeah. Busty performed several times at the State Theater, including the afternoon Rummel skipped class in 1964. She was up there dancing and they had clothes on. As they're going, they're taking a piece of clothes off and another piece off and bouncing around the stage and bumping and grinding. And people are all making cat calls and cheering and whistling. It was kind of hokey now that I think about it, but it was pretty exciting at the time. Rummel and his friends had bragging rights for weeks. But in the following decade, the state lost its decadent allure. Police raided the theater for showing obscene movies. The management moved the ticket booth into the lobby so that patrons could be more discreet. The theater closed in 1978, caught fire a few years later, then was demolished. The Stark Metropolitan Housing Authority now stands where the state used to be. Part 3, when we come back. Part 3. Final Act. In 1977, Sondra chatted with a reporter between shows in a New Jersey club. It was one of a handful of times she spoke to the press. As she told the reporter, I like it. Always have. Never wanted to do anything else. I had chances to go on talk shows, but I never liked to shoot the bull. I like dancing and pleasing an audience. I always tried to put on a good show. Sandra. But times were changing. Comics and live musicians were gone from many theaters. A lot of clubs showed X-rated movies alongside live burlesque. The old bump and grind wasn't enough. The good old days of burlesque really were the good old days. Strippers were really stars back then. I was even interviewed by the Saturday Evening Post in 1962. Today it's all different. We're not expected to be artists, but really raunchy. If you don't do raunchy stuff, you get booed off stage. How do you follow a porno film? The customers see all that sex up there on screen and they want you to do the same thing. I can't do that. I just strip and that's it. But in some towns, the girls are expected to go into the audience and work a crowd. I'm not crazy about the way it's turned. Even Busty's natural assets no longer gave her an edge. Big breasts don't mean a thing these days, not with all the silicone jobs around. She compensated with raunchy humor and kept performing. But a lot of the other dancers from the 50s and 60s called it quits. The artistry was gone. Burlesque had become old-fashioned. There's a point where they felt like there's no more skill and talent uh, involved in this. For most of them, they, they just retired and they went into other lines of work. They went, a lot of them went into, you know, became caretakers or became office workers or, you know, they, they were mostly unskilled and mostly uh, from working class backgrounds without much education. Some of them had managed to hold on to a lot of money, but most of them didn't. Most of them had gotten taken advantage of by various, you know, managers or men in their lives or whatever, and so they just went to work being working-class women holding the kinds of jobs they could find in the 70s. We don't know the last time Sandra Gray took the stage as Busty Russell. The last advertisement I could find was in 1979. 
Busty performed at a place called the Lucky Club in Guam. In the early 1990s, she and Robert moved to a home near Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. It was close to Sandra's family and about a dozen miles from Hagerstown. Sandra gardened, went to yard sales, read her Bible and played bingo. She spoiled her nieces and nephews. She didn't talk much about her younger days or burlesque. No one recognized her as Busty Russell. Sandra got her GED from Waynesboro Senior High School in 1995. It was something she had always wanted to do. Robert died the following year. They had been married 31 years. Sandra spent the last five years of her life in assisted living. She had dementia. She died December 31, 2019, and was buried next to Robert in Green Hill Cemetery. Her obituary mentioned her family, her GED, and her love of flowers and bingo. It said nothing about Busty Russell, who Sandra had laid to rest years before. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Rep Morgue, and special thanks to our voice talent for this episode, Allison Mattis and Ed Pritchard. Our theme music is Blind by Maidon. Other songs heard in this episode include excerpts from Hey Mercy and Just Give It Time by Pierce Murphy, Blue Lobster and Amber Haze by Daniel Birch, and Crazy and Tribute to Louis Braille by Andrasik. You can find the show notes for this episode and listen to other podcasts at cantonrep.com. <laughs>